This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help you protect your next. And by Pivot Bio Proven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. The cattle market is making all-time highs right now, and some analysts believe it still has plenty of room to move higher. What's driving the market? How long might it continue? And are the key drivers of this market changing? Those are just some of the questions we'll explore on this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Nationwide. Farming and land ownership comes with its share of liabilities, and you need an insurance company to help protect you. But when it comes down to it, you really need an individual who truly understands what you deal with each day and knows how to help you see what you may have overlooked. That's why I've partnered with Nationwide, the number one farm and ranch insurer in the nation. They have farm certified agents. That's right, agents that are specifically trained to handle the needs of farmers. I know there was a lot I had overlooked, and that's why we created short videos to help address those key concerns. Go to nationwide.com Andrew. That's nationwide.com slash Andrew, where I host quick shows on important topics to help protect your next. And this week, we're also brought to you by Pivot Bio. Nitrogen is always a concern for us as farmers. In fact, that's why the past few seasons I've been using Pivot Bio Proven 40 to provide my crops with nitrogen when they need it, no matter the weather. Now that predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. It's the first on-seed nitrogen, and all U.S. corn growers have access to the game-changing technology. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air and provide it directly to the corn plant all season long. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. Scott Varlick knows the cattle business well. He is still an active part of the farm and an active cattle producer. He also helps lead Coima Coima Varlick Trading in Sioux Center, Iowa. He's a very respected voice in the cattle industry because of his ability to see the fundamental and technical side of the business, and I wanted to get his thoughts on what he sees ahead for a cattle market that is already achieving historical highs. Whether you are a cattle producer or not, I think you'll be interested in what he shares and its impact on many sectors of the farm and general economy. Scott Varlick joins me, and Scott, I'm just going to let you have a chance to share a little bit about your background, because you not only are in the cattle business, but you're also helping people uh, make some trades in the cattle business, so to speak. Oh, that's right. So I grew up on a on an Angus ranch, so got to really grow up a little bit in the cowboy situation. So once you get that in your blood, you just, you just love it. So grew up new on hard work and uh, what it was to be on a cow-calf operation. And um, I'll never forget one day dad told me as we were fixing fence, he said, you know, son, he said, you don't have to use your your backbone all the time for your job. You can use your brain to get a job. And that that always stuck with me. So I guess that's what came full circle as now I'm uh, in front of a, a computer screen and uh, tracking the markets for for uh, for livestock producers and grain producers, so working hands on from that side and and feeding some cattle on the side while staying uh, vested at home in the in the Angus operation as well. 
Before we jump into the markets, I'm interested. How did you get so interested in doing that? Because you ha- you're still part of the farming operation and ranching, and you have cattle. So, what made you want, in a sense, to jump in front of the computer screen and do this and work with others that way? I would have never told you that this is what I was going to do. So, yeah, there, there obviously has to be a moment that switched my mind around. And I, I went to college at uh, South Dakota State and told my brother, older brother, who was home on the ranch, that I'll just go work off the farm for five years and then I'll come back just to kind of go go out. And I guess uh, here 20 years later, I'm still still out. So um had some classes in college that were, were excellent, uh, some teachers that – um, really perked my interest in the, the commodities and the futures. Um, so I took a job into the sales right after uh, after college to try to get into the industry and then eventually found my way into the commodities, which I really love. It was fun working with feedlots and working with producers. And that's that's my niche, talking to people um, where my brother's niche is obviously the, the hard work and uh, I'm more the, uh, the talker. So I guess it, uh, it was a good fit for both of us. And, and, I, and I, it, it's right up my alley, working with customers hands-on, um, getting involved with what they need to do and, uh, to protect their operation. And, you know, on a family operation that you've been a part of, me being the third generation, how can we keep this going? How, how can we be sustainable and keep this going for the next generation? As I look at my kids on the ground showing the same interests, uh, nothing that excites me more than that. Yeah. We're going to talk markets and, and probably mostly focus on the cattle side of things. Certainly, all of these commodity markets interact with one another. But I wanted to go to the cattle side because that's the business you're in. Give people an idea because some listening to this are very involved in the cattle business. Some may not be. We hear that cattle right now are high. I hear that all the time. Cattle are high. We're cattle producers. So, yeah, the market's high. But give me an idea or give folks an idea of, well, where do we stand right now historically in this cattle market? Yes, you are correct. It's historical. Historical highs, all-time highs, highs we've ever been before in, in the live cattle market. And uh, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about the topics and why we're there. But uh, we are you know, from COVID 2020, just a few short years ago, we are uh, more than double that price that we carved out when we had a, you know, pre- pretty ugly little trade there in the year 2020. But we are more than double that price, which puts us up towards all time highs. And we're continuing to charge as we get through the summer and uh, challenging these contract highs, all time highs. Um, it appears monthly so far. So we've had uh, had a nice run and it's and it's being led by the, the feeder market. That is uh, one thing to note that feeders are the leaders, especially when you have a move of this uh, capacity. Uh, they're usually the ones in charge and, and, and that's what's happening right now. When you look at what we've done since 2020, we have heard, of course, about the drought in a lot of more Western uh, Plains areas. And that has reduced supply. Is that what still drives this as a drought that began way back there? Uh, what has run these prices to these levels right now? Yep. yep. There, there's some reasons that I'll point out here. And that's that supply is what we're real. That's the flag that we're holding right now. How tight we are, how tight these numbers are. And that's pushing us to record highs. But there's there's several different reasons why we had to get that supply so tight. One, when you start in about 2010, prior to the last all-time high rally, which was 2014, which was uh, we had very tight numbers uh, in the supply side. 
the producers had leverage over the packer. There wasn't enough cattle to go around. So the packers were really charging for cattle. Well, in 2010, in that in those early 2010 areas, we were cash negotiating about 80% of our cattle. Uh, the other 20% were more formula or contracted cattle. Well, in the last, uh, that 10 years after 2010, those roles reversed to where that the more like 80% of the cattle were going to be traded by a formula or a contract cattle. And only 20% of them were actually negotiated to establish that price for the rest of the 80%. So it took a lot of the leverage out of uh, cow-calf producers' hands, out of the, the feedlots' hands, um, you were unable to try to say, hey, I need some more money for these cattle. So there's been, uh, since the big break in 2015, the the going's been a little bit of a little bit tough for, for some of these producers. There's not been a lot of meat on the bone uh, for these guys to be, to be had. So the cow-calf industry, what did it do? It just continued to shrink. The cow herd shrunk. There wasn't enough dollars making it down to the cow-calf industry. And when we saw some of these inflation rallies happening and the cattle prices stayed were, were, were one of the last of the commodities to participate. It just continued the liquidation. There wasn't enough profit in it. The, the ranchers were not willing to go through all the work that it is to, to raise a cow, calve out some calves. You know, it's hard to find help. Feed costs got high. There was not enough money trickling down. Um, and the packers were experiencing some record profits, profits here a couple of years ago. And, and it just continued to dwindle that cow herd, our heifer slaughter, our cow slaughter. Those numbers were, were severely, they were increased. We were sending them to town for slaughter and not interested in rebuilding the cow herd. And another one of your reasons was the drought. So yes, dry conditions that also aided in that, that we were, we were going to liquidate, keep liquidating the females. And, and every year it stayed dry. So we kicked the can down the road, said, well, maybe next year we'll rebuild the cow herd. Well, then it was dry again, south and north, kicked the can down the road. So we've been kicking this can uh, for the last three years for sure. And now is when it's finally starting to show up because at some point we need to start putting these females back into the cow herd. The, we, we, need to, we need some cow replacements. Right now they're going to the feed yard. So when you do say yes, I'm going to keep some heifers back. We're going to retain some heifers and, and rebuild this cow herd. It takes that many more pounds off of the market. Yeah, that's even your tighter numbers yet to come. As we experience some moisture this year, it'll be interesting to see if we start seeing some signals that these heifers are coming out of the feed yard and, and heading back to the cow herd. That's where I wanted to go. You know, we may have seen an easing of the drought in some locations that have been at harvest hit, hardest hit. So, we would naturally expect, I guess, some of those numbers to come back. But you mentioned a lot of folks did sell off cows. And I wonder, have some of them totally gone out of business or they said, well, I'm not going to do that much or that many anymore? What do you see coming? You're going to see a mixed bag of that because you've got interest rates at uh, whatever we're going to be at here now, nine, nine and a half percent in a high labor profession in raising cattle. There's just not a long line of people that are really to sign up for nine and a half percent providing that kind of labor, unless it really looks like there's going to be some profits on the table. So we've got an aging rancher, aging farmer that is always talked about, and, it, and it's just tough to hand it down to the next generation. But trying to find that that person that's going to be right, to be able to take on that kind of an interest and, and put in that much work into it, there's going to be have to be some dangled profits. And, and yes, there, there's some, some green ink in these cattle right now at these prices. But to me, we still haven't seen that 
let's go expand this cow herd real fast because this thing looks like it's going to be good for a long time. We're more like uh, so used to some of these black swan events that we're just waiting for the rug to get jerked and then it's our turn to get slapped in the face again. So still need some of that euphoric type of feeling into a market. One of those uh, that's kind of when a market can put in a top is when it does get that euphoric state. And I don't feel like we've quite seen that yet. Do you find it interesting that we're setting historical highs and yet we don't think we've hit that euphoric state yet? How far do we have to go to, to hit that state, do you think? Yeah. I, and that's what I'm always trying to look for. So when is that euphoric state that we're all just really just thinking this is good, we're not going to break anymore. And we're still just, like I said, waiting for that rug to be jerked. And and uh, yeah, we can all come up with numbers and throw out a really high number just to tell everybody how friendly we are. And, and we're all kind of making them up and, and pulling them out of our hat anyway. But I think we've got some some room yet. Just because, you know, the cost of production are so much higher than they used to be that we have to be at some higher levels. Yes, we, we could see demand slow down. We're, we're probably going to need to see demand slow down because we don't have enough beef to go around at these prices. It's going to have to stay high to to be able to ration it because it, going into this summer, this is the time frame right now when we would generally have a large supply of cattle for packers to pick from. And, and as we crawl into the summer, when we should be maybe hitting a summer low, we're still challenging contract highs from time to time over the last couple of months. And packers are out driving around very hard looking for cattle and showless are tight, weights are down. Um, also, you, you still had some high feed costs that we're dealing with. So, so we're still very current in the feed yards and the packers still very actively looking for cattle. So the, the leverage is in the producer's hands. And we've seen a jump in that negotiated cattle uh, market as of recent because I think some of the more formula trader contracted traders realized how much more the negotiators were getting here over the spell of very tight numbers and realized how much power we were holding. So I think the producers holding quite a bit of power right now, as long as they can continue to use it, we're still going to see some higher prices. Producers, I'm sure, are interested in how can they retain some of that power. Some of it, I'm sure, is cyclical, but we think about these cattle markets and how much of that trade has already been negotiated. Of course, it's been a topic for, it seems like, as long as I've been alive, I suppose. Have things changed, or is it just part of the natural cycle we're going to go through? Um, It does feel like a little bit of the natural cycle that we're going through as we see you know, an industry change and uh, you, you, we're going to we're going to see changes in the cattle industry. There's uh, plenty of people that don't like the, the futures market. We're going to argue about that. I mean, we as cow calf guys, we're going to your beef guys, I guess, in general, we're always going to find something to argue about and what could be better to fix the market. But when I look at it, I'm trying to fight for what's going to help that next generation come up and try to be successful and, and keeping a sustainable industry. And when we see when when the beef industry has to decrease the cow herd this tight in order to make some noise, to make it heard that we need to run up and make contract highs, that doesn't feel the like the sustainable uh, industry that I want to be a part of, that it, it shouldn't be that cow calf guy's fault saying, well, you raised too many calves this year. I guess we're just not going to be able to go higher. So trying to find that that fix, how can we keep negotiating some cattle? Uh, make that still be a part. That's a fight that I don't want to give up for that. I think we don't want to jerk out of the producer's hands because if we do see everybody go to formulas and only a small sliver of cattle deciding what the rest of the cattle are worth, you know that we're not going to get a good price for that small sliver. And, And that's similar to what the hog industry has done. 
it is the smallest of slivers that is deciding what all of the rest of the hogs are worth. And it's just, it, it means mass integration and in a hurry. And suddenly you're just doing it for a small margin. And, and that's uh, all you're in it for. Your independence is virtually gone. So maintaining our independence in the beef industry is something that, that, uh, that I would say we need to fight for. Speaking of independence, since 2020, and maybe this is more anecdotal, but we have seen more direct-to-consumer beef producers now. Is that mostly just a blip on the screen? Are there enough cattle doing that, or is that going to be something that helps these producers? And you talked about sustainability and being able to maintain a market. Are more people going to have to go to something like that in order to to have profits or have sustainability moving forward? Uh, Eventually, these high prices will come down. What, What do we do going forward? I love seeing the growth in that industry. I wish it held a little more power. It does feel like uh, more, I don't want to use your blip on a screen, but it, it it does feel like it's more in that category. But I think the consumers in in every other industry has tried to tell us, hey, we want you know the like the change in the egg industry, the the change that they want uh, their pork raised. To me, the beef industry holds something a little bit different. When you've got you know when you go to one of your cattle conventions, all of the slides that you see are a cowboy. Uh, standing there overlooking his herd in the green grass and the lush prairies. Um, that's what the consumer wants and what they want to see. And that's what we have to offer. I, I do like that going forward that the beef industry has that, but the, the local marketed beef, there is plenty of room for growth there. I mean, I, I have seen a few individuals here and there that that's how they started to market their beef. And and some of these uh, rules and laws have been, you know, promoted by some different uh uh, some different cattlemen's industries. How do we loosen some of these rules so we can get some of this beef moved? Some of these state regulated outfits are uh, the state regulations say that you have to be uh, meet federal regulations or better. So how can we say that they are regulated enough that it's okay for them to overstate sell some beef? So I think there's been some good changes in that. Uh, that so plenty of room for growth there and. Uh, I hope it can stay that way, but I think that's absolutely what the consumer wants if we have the ability to do it, I guess, is the next question. You're in the business, or at least a big chunk of your business, talking to cattlemen and helping them be able to make good profits. So considering we are at a historical highs right now, do you find a lot of them trying to do something on the Merck in order to be able to hedge those cattle? There are insurance products out there, or are people just saying, hey, the market's continuing to go up, so just ride it, and I don't need to do anything, <laughs> which is sometimes what we, we like to do as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, here, let me give you all the marketing answers in a nutshell. Oh, you're breaking up on me here. No, I, um, there's, there's a lot of things a producer can look at, because like we've talked before here in this podcast, we've got high interest rates. And we've got some high feeder calf prices that we're putting, uh, you know, a lot of our money at risk uh, trying to feed out these cattle. So it seems hard for me just to say, hey, I'm bullish, do nothing. Let's go unprotected. Let's let that go. Where that might work, I still feel like I need to sleep at night. And and at the levels we're at, if that rug gets jerked, something unforeseen happens where all of a sudden this market puts in a top and it's over, um, my family operation might also be over. So that is not going to be on my shoulders and I'm going to have something that's going to say I need to protect myself. So there's been the the livestock insurance. Uh, um, I've certainly written a lot of those policies. There's been a lot of just buying puts. Um, and yes, those types of programs are expensive. 
they, they can be a little bit of extra money that you're going to have to shell out and it's going to add to your break even. But when we have $5 trading ranges in one day, for me to spend 2 to $3 on a, on a floor, when I'm seeing $5 swings in a day, ah, I'm okay with that, in my opinion. And you, you have to decide your plan and what your risk level is. Some of the straight hedgers, the, the guys that straight hedge cattle every year, yep, you're going to get used to some margin calls and you better be used to that. Um, and, and when you are a straight hedger, you have to be careful of the, of the feed costs as well. Because if you're going to have your cattle locked in in a year like we just had um, this previous year, corn costs, the feed costs, unforeseen, really stripped a lot of the profits out of the, the feeding cattle sector because corn basis got so strong. You were unable to protect it. If you didn't have the cash corn, you might've had some, some great positions on the board, but the basis took all of your profit away. So if you're a straight hedger, you have to take that into consideration as well. But I do want to look at something, you know, whether it's the LRP, whether it's the, the puts, trying to find a way to say, hey, I'm going to survive this. We're having good times. We're, we're, we're making some, some good money in the beef industry and it, and it feels good. What happened in 2015 when we broke from our 2014 highs, we were in that euphoric state where we were going to keep going higher and there was too many people left unprotected. I still feel like there's a lot of producers out there that remember that. So we're going to be looking for some kind of protection just to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Speaking of protection, the LRP versus perhaps buying puts, is there a big difference in which strategy I use or is it just personal preference or how do you talk to cattle producers about that? Um, I offer both. So I just love to spell it out. There's pluses and, and minuses for both of them. Uh, LRP uh, pluses would be that you do not have to pay for the product until the end date, until, until after the, the livestock are sold. However, you are locked into that LRP. There is no exiting the strategy on the board of trade. You're a little bit more versatile on what you can do. You can get out the next hour. You can get out the next month. The feeder calf LRP has looked a lot more appealing as far as with the subsidy versus what the live cattle is. Live cattle, it's either way, whatever your preference is, I don't see a big financial benefit there. As I do with the feeder calf LRP, there looks to be like, yep, I think that subsidy makes a lot of difference to, to use that where it might offset some of that. I'm stuck in this policy ability, prefer to do the futures on the live cattle, but, but LRP and the feeders looks to be a, a good fit for uh, for a lot of people. Scott, in the time we have left, we've covered a lot of ground, but I'm just interested in other things that are top of mind, whether it's the cattle industry or certainly you look at all ag sectors and the trading that you do. What are the things should be on our mind right now? We're always keeping our eye on the stock market, the outside markets. What's that going to do to affect us? Because in the beef industry, we've, we've got some excellent demand, some excellent prices. The one thing that could sneak up and grab us would be if we had some sort of a stock market crash or we really got the economy in tough shape. We've been able to fight off a lot of bad news here over the last few years, several years, but uh, that's something that, that would be a little bit unforeseen. And, and, and the feed costs, the grains, uh, they're they're really on a on a break from their sharp highs here over the last couple of years. This inflation rally. So uh, how severe does that get? Our dollar is pretty strong, which is really going to start hurting our commodities, uh, being competitive with the rest of the world. So so that could be a little bit of a a game changer, I guess, in the uh, in the grain industry. You mentioned the stock market there. Has it surprised you that we have remained resilient considering that we have yield curves that are inverted in some cases? That usually tends to, you think, oh no, we're headed toward recession. And we've heard that for a while, but 
Boy, we continue to talk about it, and uh, we we seem to still be holding these levels. Yeah, amen to that statement too, because it we have been trading the word recession for it does feel like about three years. But I think every time we talk about it, it, it has to ring in people's ears when they hear about it all the time. You, I mean, if I start hearing the word recession, what do I do? I start protecting myself a little bit. I, I'm I'm ready for something bad to happen, so I'm I'm making uh, plans to be able to fight some of that off. And since we've been hearing about it for three years, I think if we've already heard about it that long, maybe we're already part of the way through the troubles that we're having. I guess that's my optimism for it, but we've had enough warning signals that that's why I, I still feel pretty good that we've made it this far and we're still doing okay. So I, I like where we're at right now, I guess, even though it may be not be cherry, but I, I do like where we're at. Scott, I've enjoyed visiting with you and appreciate the time uh, talking markets and the uh, cattle industry. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And remember, you can always hear these shows in a variety of ways at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or your favorite podcast platform. If you missed one of the shows, just go back and use those platforms to find other shows and topics of interest as well. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.